0: Research Radio, Series 2, Episode 1. Research Radio is a podcast series that brings evidence-informed child welfare research to life through interviews with leading researchers. New this fall, the Research Radio podcast will highlight researchers whose recent publications have been reviewed by the Child Welfare Research Portal. To access these full reviews, visit www.cwrp.ca and click Research Watch. This month, we speak with Dr. Rebecca Orsi from the Social Work Research Center in the School of Social Work at Colorado State University about her research on predicting re-involvement for children adopted out of a public child welfare system.
1: My name is Rebecca Orsi, and I'm a research scientist at the Social Work Research Center in the School of Social Work at Colorado State University. And we're located in Fort Collins, Colorado in the States, um, about 40 miles south of the Colorado-Wyoming border. And I have three full-time colleagues at the Social Work Research Center here who are also either research scientists or research associates. And then our center employs or provides internships to uh, mostly graduate students in social work and human development here at Colorado State. My role at the center is really as the research methodologist and the statistician, so my own training is more in statistics and research methods rather than specifically in child maltreatment or public health. But right now, what I'm involved in at the center consists of working on both research and evaluation projects, mostly in the area of child maltreatment, so research being our more basic understanding of the risk factors for child maltreatment or deepening our understanding of the reasons for it, evaluation being when we look at specific programs such as those that might help prevent maltreatment. Our clients are mostly county and state agencies. We have 62 separate county-based human service agencies in Colorado that provide child protective services, and so we work with many of those counties and also with the state
0: oversight group. What research will you be sharing with us today?
1: I want to go ahead at this point and acknowledge um, a couple of key folks who helped me with this research. Dr. Mark Winoker, who is also here at the Social Work Research Center, and Mr. Greg Crawford, who's a data analyst at Jefferson County Human Services. They did quite a bit of pre-work for this study retrieving and formatting the data that I analyzed. The data that we used is administrative data from what we call the Colorado Trails System. It's a statewide automated child welfare information system, or more affectionately known as SOCWIS, And many states in the United States have such a system that supports the reporting of child welfare data, tracking it both for case management purposes and reporting to our federal government here. Dr. Winoker and Mr. Crawford were key in obtaining that data and getting it into a format where it could be used for research.
0: How did you come to study this topic specifically or to be involved in child welfare research in general?
1: The topic, re-involvement of children who've been previously adopted out of the child welfare system, this was selected by our ARCH partners. ARCH stands for the Applied Research in Child Welfare Project, and it's an 11-year partnership between the State Department of Human Services here in Colorado and the Departments of Human Services in 11 Colorado counties. And we meet with folks from those counties once a month, the third Friday of every month for the last 11 years. (laughs) And we've done a number of research projects as part of ARCH. They chose the topic, looking at re-involvement of adopted children, and they funded the research, which was then completed here at the research center. So we're pretty excited about this model. It's a pretty unique research-practice partnership, at least as far as we're aware. The reason that this topic came up for the folks who are our partners at ARCH, they realized that they were seeing many adopted children once again, if you will, back in the system. So after permanent placement with adoptive families, some of these children are being either referred again or even assessed again for a need for services in the child welfare system. And they were seeing these youth both for maltreatment referrals or, probably more commonly, referrals for what we call youth in conflict. Those are cases where there's not necessarily maltreatment, but the youth is experiencing some behavior issues, maybe beyond the control of parents or involved with the judicial system. And our ARCH partners noted as we were talking about framing this study that particularly these youth in conflict referrals where there's no maltreatment, but that youth in conflict referral might be indicative of challenges within the adoptive family system, and so that this was an important topic that they needed to understand more about. So they asked us to look at what might be the factors that relate to a child re-involving after their adoption, and then, of course, talking about what we might be able to do about this issue based on those factors and what they might be able to do as practitioners. I want to note that I found in doing this work that there's not a whole lot of research out there about adoption adjustment and long-term outcomes for kids adopted out of a child welfare system. It's tough to collect data. Uh, Many kids in the system, of course, do reunify with birth families, which is great. For those that achieve permanency by adoption, we would need to really go out and sample those families and follow them for a long period of time, and so that can be challenging. We were able to do some of that with this data set from the Colorado SOCWIS system. So those are my professional reasons for studying the topic. I just want to say on a personal note, I am a mom to children both by birth and adoption. I have a son who joined my family through adoption, so I was particularly enthusiastic to work on this study for that reason as the well-being of adopted kids is very close to my heart. And a shout-out to my wonderful son, CJ, before we go on.
0: I definitely agree with you that the adoption outcomes and longer-term well-being is a piece that tends to be missing in the research. So your study makes a great contribution. And what a great opportunity that you were able to get funding for this kind of research as well. We know that can be tough. If you could now start to walk us through then the key findings that came from it. So
1: I'll talk a little bit just about the data, that we used. We had about 4,000 children in the study. They all had a finalized adoption through the child welfare system in Colorado between the years of 2002 and 2006 in one of nine large counties. And I mentioned that we have 11 counties in our ARCH partnership now. At the time, we didn't have 11, so we were using data from nine large counties. The sample is a little bit older in time, the 2002-2006 timeframe for the adoption finalizations allowed us to then follow these kids up until 2012 to see if they were referred back to Child Protective Services, i.e. a phone call was made, or if they penetrated deeper into the system and had an actual assessment. that their referral was screened in and the Child Welfare Agency completed an assessment for that child to see if services were needed. So what we did with this study is we looked at that group of children and we tracked their first referral and their first assessment after the finalization of their adoption. And so the first thing we noticed, and this information is in the article as well, it really confirmed what our practice partners at ARCH had observed and suspected, about 45% of the adopted children in this sample did have a referral of some kind to child welfare during that follow-up period, so sometime between their finalization for the adoption and 2012 when we ended the data collection. So that's almost half of the kids had a referral, and about 35% of the kids had an assessment. So it's definitely an issue that we're seeing some of these kiddos again. So what we did with the research was to examine several factors, things like whether the children had been involved previously in the system, demographic characteristics of the kids, caregiver characteristics. So we know that we've got 35% and 45% with an assessment and a referral. Children that have which characteristics are most likely to experience one of these outcomes. Um, And we essentially structured the study so that it was looking at a snapshot of any one year time period after their adoption. So here's a technical note for folks who are interested. The analysis was a survival analysis, which means that it really compares a rate of referrals between two groups of children, and I'll give some examples in a minute. But to think of it a little more clearly and simply, we can just think about the study as comparing the chances that one group of kids have a referral during a one-year period, compared to the chances of another group having a referral over that same year. So we might be looking at two different ethnic groups, or we might be looking at children of two different ages or levels in school, and does one group have higher chances of a referral or an assessment compared to that other group in any one-year period? So that's the framing of the data and the type of
0: analysis that we did. I'm just going to interrupt you quickly to thank you for that note on survival analysis. So our listeners might know that in our Particle Literature Reviews, we would pull this information out into the margins and title it, Methods Matter, because they do very much. Your description was very clear and concise. A survival analysis compares the rate of referrals between two groups of children. So in this case, comparing the chances that one group of kids have a referral during a one-year period compared to the chances of another group having a referral during that same one-year period. So thanks again for that method note.
1: Um, I'll talk about three main findings. The first finding has to do with the type of prior involvement that the child had in the system. We know these kids all had prior involvement, but they differ in terms of how long they'd been out of home, how many placements. And so we looked at those two factors. Um, and we found, and this result is certainly not surprising, that children who spent more time out of home prior to adoption and children who experienced a large number of different placements prior to their adoption, both of those groups of children had higher rates of re-involvement after adoption. So as an example, to make it a little more clear, children who spent more than 18 months out of home prior to their adoption were about 30% more likely to have a referral or an assessment after adoption compared to kids who spent less than 18 months out of home. So when we compare more than 18 months versus less than 18 months, those kiddos who were out of home for the longer period were about 30% more likely. And we looked at the data a couple different ways, breaking it at 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, and it really seemed that 18 months was kind of a significant cut point where you really saw more challenging results for those kiddos who'd been out of a home for more than 18 months versus fewer. So that's the first finding that I want to highlight is that relationship of prior involvement and how long and how many placements with these subsequent outcomes for adopted kids. Second one would be some findings around ethnicity. So the first thing that I want to say about this piece is there's a bit of a negative finding, if you will. And the way that we discuss this in the paper is we have no clear evidence based on this data set, that children should be or must be adopted into families of the same ethnicity in order to increase the chances of a successful adoption. So there's conversations in the practice world ongoing, I think, about how important that is that children be adopted into a family of the same racial or ethnic and cultural background. And what the data in this study show is some examples to the contrary, in other words, It's not necessary that kids be placed with parents of the same ethnicity in order to have more positive outcomes. So an example would be what we saw for African-American children in the sample. They had about the same rate of post-adoption referrals, whether or not they were adopted by an African-American foster parent or a foster parent of another ethnicity. So when I say that this data provides some examples to the contrary, we're not saying that it necessarily supports, one way or another, how kiddos should be placed, but rather that it provides some instances where when children are placed cross-culturally, we're not seeing outcomes that are any worse for them. A second finding related to ethnicity is that a major area of focus should be supports for the adoption of Hispanic children into Hispanic families. So the data that we looked at showed that adoptions of Hispanic kids into Hispanic families were experiencing referrals and assessments after adoption at really undesirably high rates. Again, an example. If we compared foster parents' ethnicity, so a Hispanic child adopted by a foster parent had a 30% greater rate of post-adoption referral if that foster parent was Hispanic compared to if the foster parent was a different ethnicity. There could be economic concerns and issues that play into that result, but it certainly suggests that we focus on that particular situation of Hispanic kids being adopted into Hispanic families. We also compared child ethnicity. So, for example, Hispanic children in Hispanic families overall had more than a 40% greater rate of referral after adoption than Caucasian children in Caucasian families. So both when we look at that Hispanic child, whether or not they're adopted into a Hispanic family or not, and when we simply compare two groups of culturally similar families, Hispanic kids and Hispanic versus Caucasian and Caucasian, we're seeing worse outcomes for those Hispanic kids being adopted into Hispanic families. So ethnicity, that was the second group of outcomes that I wanted to highlight. And finally, the last group of results from the study to talk about would be having to do with age, both the age of the children and the age of adoptive parents. So we looked at children who were preschool and elementary and secondary age. We had our children broken out into these three groups in the data. We found that preschool and elementary-aged adoptions experience higher rates of re-involvement with the system, referrals and assessments, when these younger kids are with older parents than younger parents. So younger kids with older parents are coming back at slightly higher rates. But the adoptions of secondary age children, so the older kids who are in middle and high school by older parents, do not experience higher rates of post-finalization involvement. So... The results for these older kids, also we looked that they hold both for foster parent adoption, so if that youth is adopted by an older foster parent versus younger, and for relatives, an older relative versus younger. So it's not simply a result of older children being adopted by relatives that shows that they're having better results, but rather both for the foster parent and relative situation. So those are the three groups of findings that I think are most helpful to understand from our study. The prior involvement, the relationships between parent and child ethnicity and subsequent outcomes, and the relationships between parent and child age.
0: What in particular do you think practitioners can take away from this study? Well, we've had quite
1: a few conversations about that, and they've been very positive ones. So talking about Again, kind of these three areas of the findings that I just discussed. If we look at system involvement, you know, those results, I'll say, are probably not surprising. As other research has concluded, you know, our study suggests that it's very beneficial that we get kiddos to permanency as quickly as we can and avoid multiple placement moves. So we've seen that in research for other types of outcomes when we're looking at behavioral outcomes, those kind of things, and just general child well-being, that it's better to have less time in care, fewer moves. It also applies in these adoption situations. We know it can be challenging to sort out, right, as caseworkers have to evaluate all the permanency options for an individual child, which might include reunification or kin care or adoption, but these results suggest a continued focus on moving kids to permanency as quickly as we can, including when that permanency option is an adoptive placement. As far as ethnicity, I think it's real simple. We should be spending more time looking at the issues surrounding adoption by families of color and, in particular, Hispanic families. So what supports can or should be put in place? And I've got a couple examples of what that might be here in a minute. And finally, for age, you know, the results suggest that when possible, it might be prudent to place preschool children and relatively younger children with relatively younger parents and secondary-age children with relatively older parents. We're not seeing worse outcomes when older youth are placed with older parents, and there may even be a slight positive moderating effect of the older parents' age on the outcomes for those older children. So this is the second technical note for those who are interested. It was an almost statistically significant difference that showed that older kids actually had better outcomes with the older parents instead of just the same outcomes with older versus younger parents. So I feel pretty comfortable saying that there's a little bit of evidence here that we've got some slightly positive effects with older kids and older parents together. So what do these things mean for practice? First of all, child welfare agencies could follow up with adoptive families after their finalization, maybe using a more personal process than what might be common practice. And I can't speak for a lot of jurisdictions, but in general, in Colorado, The current practice would be to contact adoptive families a year or so after their finalization via a simple letter in the mail. And that process is related to verifying the family's eligibility for continued adoption assistance. An example of that would be the child's eligibility for insurance through the federal Medicaid program in the United States. So overall, we know that These adopted kids re-engage the system at high rates. We mentioned the 45% referral rate, the 35% assessment rate earlier. So maybe instead of sending a letter, agencies might be able to contact families via telephone or in person, and in addition to verifying the eligibility for their insurance, for example, the agency could do a brief assessment of family needs or maybe provide a list of services for adoptive families that might be helpful as they're continuing to adjust to their new son or daughter. If resources are limited for making phone contacts, then perhaps at least in Colorado, based on these data, one might suggest that Hispanic adoptive families should be prioritized for a personalized contact. So I think that's one of the practice implications that can come out of this. And there's several other practices that were suggested based on the results from this study. And I do want to say that these have been brainstormed by practitioners in some of the arch partner counties. We have been out talking about this study to a couple of the counties who participated, and their caseworkers made some of the following suggestions. We might include pre-adoption parent education for both immediate and extended adoptive families. Another helpful practice could be post-adoption family meetings. Family meetings are being used a lot here in Colorado, and so it might be adapted to an adoption situation, also to include, again, extended family members instead of simply the immediate family. Many agencies are incorporating trauma awareness into child welfare practice. So an awareness specifically of the trauma history for ad- adopted children could be helpful in identifying ways to resolve any challenging situations in the adopted family. And understanding cultural connections, this I thought was a very interesting suggestion. We tend to think of cultural connections as between, you know, different ethnic groups. But for adopted children, understanding, especially older children, Understanding family cultural differences between a family of origin and their adoptive family could be really important for their adjustment, so simply moving from one family to another that has its own different microculture, if you will. And the input of children themselves, of course, could be very helpful in this regard. And finally, there's simply a need to hear from adoptive families about their experiences and allowing these experiences to shape practice, which gets back to what we were talking about earlier with the need for more research in this area, so... I think to summarize, we would encourage folks to continue to refine the practice so that kids move to permanent adoptive placement sooner rather than later. Support Hispanic foster parents and adoptive families with culturally appropriate services. Consider placing older children for adoption with older parents when possible. And consider the ideas just mentioned above from the field and from practitioners about how Child Protective Services can support its adoptive families after the finalization of that process.
0: Those are some really great practical implications of your work, and I think that as practitioners, it's helpful to hear from other workers in the field what we can do with this research. And you've discussed a bit already with the community partnerships, but are there any other tangible ways you're aware of that your research has already affected either practice or the lives of adoptive parents and children?
1: Well, um, yes, a couple examples. So one would be the conversations that you're right, that I had just summarized previously. One of the arch counties specifically invited myself and Dr. Winoker also out to present these results to their caseworkers, and we spent a couple of hours one afternoon talking about the results and with the caseworkers brainstorming a lot of ideas and what that might mean their practice. And so I think it certainly got a lot of thinking going in that agency and informed some of the suggestions that we made in the article when I published it. So that's one concrete result. Another one is that a couple of counties are talking about surveying adoptive parents, so building on that need to hear from those families specifically. So one county has already surveyed its adoptive parents and also kinship caregivers. Another is actively discussing such a survey, so the topics that could be included there are questions about whether the family is likely to contact the child welfare agency for post-adoption assistance. Do they feel comfortable coming back and, for example, contacting their caseworker again? Might ask about what health or behavior challenges the adopted child has experienced. They might ask about whether the family believed that their preparation or education for adoption had been adequate, what else might have been done, and finally, just in general, what their positive post-adoption experiences are. So not being deficit-focused, but focusing on those positive experiences that come out of this whole process as well. And truthfully, there may even be some other counties who are looking at this by this time. I know about these two uh, specifically who have been talking about surveying.
0: You've been listening to Research Radio, Series 2, Episode 1, a conversation with Dr. Rebecca Orsi. Research Radio is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about this episode's topic, Research Radio or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ParkeiP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P. Thanks for listening.